Our high school guidance counselor used to ask us what you would do if you had a million dollars. Didn't have to work. And then invariably, whatever you'd say, that was supposed to be your career. So if you wanted to fix old cars, then you're supposed to be an auto mechanic. So what did you say? I never had an answer. I guess that's why I'm working at Inatech. No, you're working at Inatech because that question is bull to begin with. If everyone listened to her, there'd be no janitors because no one would clean up if they had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Talking about millions of dollars. What would you do if you had a million dollars? I'll tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. We're living in a material world and I am a material girl. Or boy. Well, what about you now? What would you do? Besides two chicks at the same time? Oh, yeah. Nothing. Nothing, huh? I would relax. I would sit on my ass all day. I would do nothing. Well, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing, man. Take a look at my cousin. He's broke. Don't do If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Well, I don't Jack. Sam Tamao, Andrew on the board. We have Dan Janitas in studio. So we have Dan all, well, pretty much all morning. You got dash a little early, but we have him with us. We have Lou on, I, hope, I assume we have Lou on the line. We had so much to talk about with Lou. I hope he's ready, for God's sake. Lou, are you with it's us? It's 5 a.m. here, man. Yeah, well, it's 6 a.m. here, man. Already? Already? Already do you think I'm going to be at 5 a.m.? Well, stuff's happening, you know. They're, I mean, they're, you know, stuff's going down. You got your guys debating. You got your guys in Russia getting killed. You got all kinds of stuff happening. Well, I uh, I saw that story. Let, let's start with Ukraine because we haven't talked about Ukraine in a in a while. Um, the the death of Prigozhin, the former Wagner. A private military company or PMC commander is not a surprise. I'm I'm only surprised that he they ended up taking if in fact he's dead. Uh, I'm only surprised that uh, he took none other they took none other people with him to kill him when they killed him, and he didn't you know fall out of a hospital window or something like that, which is the normal way you know literally defenestration, which is the, normally the way political opponents of the regime uh, go. Go out. Does he have a uh, obvious second in power? Oh. No. In fact, the report that I saw about Wagner recently, and and this was noteworthy, is you know they moved all those guys into uh, into Belarus, and and uh, or Belarus as as. Now, when you say moved all those guys, it was thousands of guys, wasn't it? Thousands of guys and their equipment. Well, yes. You just get them yes. on a train and go. They they moved them into Belarus for for stationing, and they apparently have broken up and left Belarus singly and in groups, small groups, because they aren't being paid. So, so they're so they're essentially gone. Out, they're out for hire. They are they are out for hire. So the question is, if you're a, you know the Russian military, what do you do? Um, there are other a couple of other private military companies that are being organized uh, within uh, within the Russian Federation. So I I don't know. Um, I don't know, what, you know, if these guys will drift back to them. Uh, information on on them is is, ob- is obviously a little sketchy, but uh, apparently Wagner is no longer a functioning entity, at least in uh, Russia in the in that area. They have a they had a pretty significant presence in Africa. I don't know whether that organization is still intact, but um, you know. It, they represented a, a really f- kind of frightening um, operation and, and concept when they first rolled. You saw them first roll out big time in 2014. They were they were the little green men, the uh, guys in green uniforms, obviously you know fatigue uniforms, battle dress uniforms, but with no insignia. And and they were working 
to, to they were key to the attack by Russia into uh, into Ukraine in 2014. Um, but you know the Russians, of course, were saying we don't know who these guys are. We think they're just loyal. Yeah, they know, must Russian be just loyalists of some kind. Yeah, yeah, Russian citizens who who simply are taking up arms against the uh, what was the characterization uh, Nazi homosexual drug addicts. Yeah, that are, yeah. That are running Ukraine. Um, and so, I, the, the death of Prigozhin, if in fact he's dead, and I, I you know, you and I know, not to just take that. Uh, that report. Well, it specifically value. says his name was on the list. It didn't say they found the body or anything like that. Right. Everybody's being very careful because because the Russians are reporting this and, you know, nobody's nobody's making verification. L- let me put it this way. If he's not dead, he, he might as well be in terms of, of his ability to affect the course of events now. And and so um, this, this basically takes him off the board. And and with the dissolution of uh, of their forces in Belarus, the, the scattering of those people, um, I, I think Wagner as a as a functioning entity is is pretty well is pretty well gone. Well, we could, I mean, just I'm not a military strategist like you, but if you, yeah, if, well, if, no, I'm not a military. But I'm saying if you had a group like that, I could see if we we um, if somebody ever decided to really be sneaky and go after, say, the drug cartel or something. I could see four higher, you know, mercenaries basically being used. If it became an all-out war, I don't see how you could have a mercenary unit next to your own guys. Or I, mean, I don't see how that would even work. You're well, not paying your problem. own. Yeah, you're not paying your own people, and you're, not, you're sure as hell not the paying problem. them. I mean, yeah, I, that was the problem. I mean, they were they reported. They did not report to the Russian Ministry of Defense. They were better equipped and better, much better trained than the than the average Russian frontline soldier that was being put into combat there. Um, they gave the Russian government a very effective way of clearing out its prisons uh, in search of manpower, because the Russians didn't have to draft convicts. They could simply have the, let the Wagner guys, and this is what happened, they let the Wagner guys go into the prisons and recruit. They would, are, they would are have you, are you, When you say prisons, are we talking county jail where there's like real... Everything. I mean, but I mean... Penitentiaries. I know, but I mean, are we talking about people who are mostly political? I mean, I, I look at Russia, no. it doesn't look to me like there's that many regular thieves no. running around. We're, are talking about, we're talking about rapists, okay. murderers, embezzlers, armed robbers. Not just political people they don't like. No, no, we're talking, we're talking, you know, major criminal elements. Ra- regular and, bad guys. Regular bad guys, yeah. You know, the, the kind of guys, the kind of guys you, that should be off the streets in Chicago. Yeah, pretty they much, were, yeah. They, they would, were allowed to go into penitentiary. I can't imagine and, those guys... Any kind of a disciplinary uh, armed force. I mean, those people look like they were well, and, they and have in their life. But that's another story. This is why this is why Wagner was perfect for this, because there is. I, remember, I told you about. You know how they Wagner dealt with discipline problems within their ranks. Firing squad. No, they murdered people. They murdered their their problem guys with sledgehammers, and they put videos of it up on the on the Russian you know, yeah. telecom channels. And you know, you see your you see a guy getting beaten to death with a sledgehammer, and who for who has you know either deserted or not not done what he was supposed to do in in terms of combat, and and that tends to sharpen your focus on. Is discipline. that is that better than the any aircraft gun the guy who's in uh, Korea? Oh, that was North Korea. Yeah. Um, I think it's the same kind of effect. Although you know, an any aircraft gun blowing you into pieces is reasonably quick. Yeah. Being beaten to death with a sledgehammer is not fast. No. Well, unless they whack your head first, which they probably wouldn't. 
they they don't. Yeah. So so this anyway. All right. So we 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 he's either dead or or in hiding somewhere or he's he's staying in a hotel in Chicago. We don't know, but he's right. He's and, ineffective. And he's effectively he's effectively gone. So so how did the how did the payments? God, why do I always come up with money? Maybe because Dan's here influencing <laughs> me. Uh, how exactly? Who, who sends? I mean, he's got five thousand people. Who the hell 25,000. sends? Oh, all right. Who's, who? Who would? Who it signs takes. the check in Russia for twenty five thousand? Say time hundred dollars a month. I mean, who sells these? Sends these guys a check for two and a half mil every month. They have their own bank, their own accounting oh, department. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, they had their own funding source through the Russian government. They were hired by the Russian government. But they only have their own back, essentially a back office, an accounting firm, their own bank accounts. All these guys. Wow. Yep. And and you know, Prigozhin was was obviously one of the you know the guy who was controlling the flow of money. But but yeah, the Russians the Russians paid them a huge amount of money as contract as contract fighters. I mean, we we do the same kind of thing, not to this extent and not using, you know, penitentiary labor. But when we had Blackwater and yeah. now it's what it's what's it's called, Z or whatever it is. Um, uh, and these private military contractor groups that we used for specialized missions and special... I, I thought we, uh, well, allegedly, if you just read this, the soft part, they were there to do the you know, the kitchen and the, and the laundry and all the other crap, but they weren't actually fighting. I, I never believed that, especially talking to you. But Well, we have, we have huge, we have a huge civilian, DOD civilian contract group that provides support services. But, but Blackwater... That makes more than the regular of, people in the Army, usually. Uh, yes and no. They're better not, equipped. Not, not, not if you not if you calculate all the benefits. Blackwater Blackwater was a combat force. Okay. okay, these were mostly special forces guys, former special forces guys. I mean shooters, and they were highly trained and really good, and uh, they they provided security. Um, they provided backup support. In some cases, they were hired by the CIA or other agencies to perform paramilitary operations. Um, and and th these guys, you know, for, so for example, these were there were private military contractors. I don't know if they were Blackwater, but they were providing. They were the guys who stayed in Benghazi and and tried to tried to defend those embassies. And uh, uh, you know, a number of them were killed. They they were the uh, they were private military contractors, armed to the teeth, with with lots of with lots of weapons, but. A private military force like that, and, and these are these are small. We use them in small groups, but a private military force like that has a number of advantages over a regular army or regular military unit. For one thing, they don't have a ponderous chain of command. You can pick the phone up and call these guys and say, "I need this done," and and they can they can move directly to it. Nobody has to be coordinated with. They can they can step to right right away. Um, they also don't have the problems with the laws of armed conflict. Uh, that In other words, they have no rules. Well, they have rules. It's just different. Not, yeah, different, different, different rules. rules. Um, no, I mean, I mean, for example, for example, um, you know, Blackwater allegedly uh, was involved in in killing civilians in Iraq when when things got hot and heavy. They didn't discriminate among targets. If if they were taking fire from a you know, from a certain area, they they would obliterate it. Now they didn't have they weren't like Wagner. They didn't have heavy weapons. They weren't driving tanks, uh, and and they were, 
you know, they were only engaged for specific purposes, whereas Wagner and the other PMCs in Russia exist, you know, as a separate standalone force. But, but yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the, the Blackwater, Blackwater has ties to a number of different federal agencies, but it's, it's small and, it, and it's well organized and it's reasonably accountable. The Wagner PMC was basically an extension of the Russian government, a private military force that responded on its own, ran on its own with very little coordination with, with the Ministry of Defense. And, and they were a threat to uh, other Russian soldiers. They were a threat to regular Russian soldiers. Their effectiveness in combat was, was greater than normal Russian units. And, and so uh, they there was a lot of conflict between those Wagner units and regular MOD troops on the front lines. And, and the Wagner guys were constantly, you know, demanding more resources because they said we get results. What, um, so, you know, if you had to, what, what uh, would have, I mean, did the fallout come before the not getting paid or the not getting paid cause him to lose, lose his leadership and get mad at Putin or what, what came first? Do you have any idea? Well, the revolt, the mutiny that. But I mean, it was, what, I guess my, I'm backing up here. To, what caused the mutiny? Was it, were they not getting paid, or did he have a fight with? Putin no, before? the mutiny was the mutiny was caused by a perceived direct threat on uh, Prigozhin and his organization by other members of the Ministry of Defense. Which it was a, it, But I mean, was that, a, that was caused by something. Was he bitching about not getting paid and? Oh, the, the, other, the other Ministry of Defense people saw him as a threat. It wasn't a question of money; it was a question of power. Okay, Prigozhin was seeking to expand his influence within the within the Russian government. He's got close personal ties to Putin already, and he was seeking to expand his influence within the within the Russian defense establishment. He he was technically threatened. He believed he was was absolutely threatened by by the the commanders of the Russian military who were working in the. Uh, you know, in the Ukraine region, and that they were they were about to undercut him and uh, you know maybe well, cut well, his people well, who, off. Who decided if, if there was a town to be taken or something? Whether his group did it and or the other guys did. I mean, I mean, it seems like it's an odd way to to do something. It's like the Germans with the regular army and the SS. Well, the, I'm not exactly clear as to exact as to who was was providing him the, the targets, but but. They were used. Those Wagner troops were used as shock troops, and and also as as regular combat units within the Russian war scheme. So, for example, in Bakhmut, where you had a stalemate that that developed over fighting over that city, they put Wagner in there, and and they ground they ground down the Ukrainian resistance and took, and ultimately took the town. Okay. Um, they they were used to stiffen. You know the resolve of, of Russian forces when the Ukrainians would make uh, would make spoiling attacks or, or probing attacks, and and so they got tossed into a lot of different areas, obviously piecemeal, but but in a in an effective way. They're not, you know, they're not great troops, but they're but because because of the discipline issue and the fact that that they're not, you know, they're not like. Our regular our military units, which which get you know months and months of training before they're put in the field, these guys aren't like that, but they were better equipped and better trained. A lot of them were experienced fighters, experienced soldiers. They were better equipped and better trained than the average Russian unit, and and performed accordingly. Speaking of which, did you watch any of the debate last night? Nope. <laughs> um, you you, I, you I, uh, 
I'm not going to waste my time on. on <laughs> well, I'm gonna, I'll ask you about it as if as if you watched it anyway. How's that? The uh, you're as you always accuse me of having like chief disease, where you uh, you, you assume that when there's a logical conclusion on something, especially if it's money related, that you can talk to the other person. And by the way, I'm I'm losing that because of you. I'm, I'm thinking a lot differently these days. Is that guy, the guy who's thirty-eight that, years that's old? That's a benefit. You need, we need to we need to extend our thanks to Vladimir Putin because I think the I think the first meaningful dis- or really meaningful discussion we had on this point was was when you were trying to ask me what the economic advantage was of invading yeah. Ukraine, and I said there is none. It has nothing to do with it. Right. Well, because because uh, if you were listening to uh, the debate, the one uh, the guy who's thirty-eight has got it all he's got it all figured out. The, the, yeah. He uh, his his book, by the way, woke when he when which I have. Uh, when he talks about the how uh, this DEI culture infiltrated American corporations is really pretty good. Well, I don't think actually he came across a, as a really smart guy, but he absolutely convinced he knows everything, and he's, he's he had absolutely terminal chief disease <laughs> in in the sense that he was you know if he was in there we would, wouldn't have to worry about any of these guys because he could talk to them and they'd see the error of their ways and we wouldn't have to be. In, in Ukraine, we'd have all our people in the southern border. Like, it sounds like he was channeling Donald Trump. Yeah, was yeah. he? Yeah, it's, it's well, you know, I, I uh, this is well, my one person's view of it. I mean, without without a doubt, the person who made the most sense all night long was Nikki Haley, in my opinion. Not even close. Where these guys were ranting and raving about, you know, the Biden inflation or something. She goes, "Wait a minute, we, we were just yeah. our policies were just as much a part of that as his. What, yeah. what are you guys talking about?" I mean, well, and see, so that should have been turned. That should have been turned, and, and she's she's I like her. She's smart and what and uh, uh, thoughtful, and has a, a fair amount of exec. Obviously, has a lot of executive experience and and federal executive experience. But what you do in a situation like that is you say, look, we, were, you know, we were we were in up to our eyeballs at, at least in, in the initial part of that. Now it, it's been it's been bumped up on steroids. But she said, you know, that was a, just another that was another bad move by the president by by President Trump. And it's a reason why you shouldn't be voting for him. Well, and then she was all over the one guy talking about we got to you know the, the, just let Ukraine go its own way. And she's like, "What are you talking about? This guy invaded him. The guy's a thug. He murders people." She goes, "What's the matter with you?" She's talking to me. You know, I mean, she she goes, she said uh, when she was in the United Nations, who, who did he murder there? She she mentioned some name. He killed this guy right in the in, uh, like in the UN, and now he's killed this guy. I mean, she goes, well, what do you? What makes you think you can reason with the dude? He's a thug. She says to him, I, "Yeah, we should just let the Ukrainians go." I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a Russophile. I'm a Russophile. I I generally like Russian culture. I'm fascinated by it. I I loved going over there to work. Um, it it it's a it's a fascinating place. But I'm under no illusions about, I don't think, about what type of government is in place in, in Russia right now. It's the same kind of a government that has historically been in place in Russia for, you know, several hundred years. It's expansionist. It takes a long view. And, and it has a, uh, the word I'm looking for, acquisitive worldview of everything up to about the German border. And so, and so... The idea that that Putin is somehow, if he had if he had not been stopped in Ukraine, and and would not have to face a challenge from NATO in Ukraine, the idea that he would stop at Ukraine is simply silly. He would have he would have gone into the Baltics. Uh, uh-huh. You would have seen Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania subverted and and 
taken over. You would you would have seen a push in, uh, at uh, Poland. I mean, for, for heaven's sakes, a, a Russian spokesman last week, when asked about you know what is the ultimate you know endpoint of, of our operation special operation in Ukraine, he said, well you know it's not Ukraine. It, there are a, a lot of Poland used to be Russia, and and we we think we think we're entitled to to access that and control that as well. You know, if that if that doesn't set alarm bells off. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know what, what it, what it will take. I, I, am not a huge. I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan, as I said, of, of the Biden administration, but I'm gratified that we are effectively arming Ukraine as 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 quickly as we can. I understand the incremental approach. I don't necessarily agree with it. Part of the problem Ukraine is having right now, with their military operations and their counter their counteroffensive, is that. They are being taught to fight like NATO, which is good. But, you know, what does NATO rely on that the Ukrainians don't have? It's air power. You have to be able to... NATO NATO advances and NATO fighting requires the establishment of local air superiority over over an area that you're going to attack or you want to fight in. And, and you know, the, air, the aircraft and air superiority is designed to suppress... The, the rear artillery and, and distance long range dis, uh, fires from from your opponent. So in a NATO, a fully operational NATO situation here, we would have advancing forces going forward and every every artillery piece and electronic warfare operation and everything else around there that would have been identified and targeted either by an aircraft or, or a, a missile strike that, that launched from an aircraft. And, and that would be key to our, our moving forward. By the way, there is a, a fascinating piece uh, published in, uh, what is it, Tactical Marine or something like that, uh, tact- uh, Tactical Notebook on Substack that talks about the lessons of Ukraine for, for ground forces. And it, it's fascinating reading because what this guy has done is gone through and called out the the you know essential aspects of this of this fight and and the first thing that that jumps out at him and again this is written by a marine so he's talking ground war but but there is no air war right now the ground war is is the fact that it is impossible within you know four or five miles of a battlefront it is impossible to move without being surveilled without without somebody knowing about it because of the presence of these small tactical drones and and that that Ukraine is well, they're is like they're like the balloons in the Civil War for God's sake. Well, way better. No, these are these oh, are way much better. More effect- oh, yeah. these are much more effective. So so the idea that that you know you can you can set up and 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 move or you can assemble you know forces or that you can put you can put a headquarters unit somewhere and leave it there for more than five or six hours is without it being destroyed or attacked is uh, you know simply wrong. Uh, the battlefield and the way the Ukrainians and now the Russians are operating over the battlefield is is every movement, every every organization, uh, organizational assembly, every every you know ammo dump within you know decade or within a couple of uh, of uh, miles of the front and, and and even further back is subject to being discovered and targeted. The the Russians right now with their uh, advantage in artillery. 
are, are finding forward activity by the Ukrainian units and hitting them with artillery within 60 seconds. Wow. That's, uh, it's almost like in, in combat when you were, they knew where the patrol was, the patrol would call it 100 yards over their head, only better. Yeah, because, because this stuff, you know, you're, you're not risking your people. This is just the, an inability to move. So the counter to that is electronic warfare, which is what I used to do. Well, and, a counter is, is a is a, a warthog taking out the artillery. Well, but you can't get a warthog right. in there, okay? Because we don't have we don't have the capability to, to 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 do that yet. So the counter to this is electronic warfare on the drones. You you blanket the area with electronic jamming to to knock out their GPS systems, knock down their ability to to communicate with their controller. So that's one angle. The second angle is what you mentioned, Chief, but but in a in a another way of doing it, which is using precision fire. And this is where those cluster munitions that we sent to them are having a huge impact. I'm right, I, and I, yeah. I will freely admit that I made a mistake on our last or two, three episodes ago where I said they're going to take those cluster munitions apart and use the individual bomblets. They're, they're, not, they're not doing that. Really? It, instead, what they're doing is they're using these artillery shells with cluster munitions in them so, so you can a, a precision weapon, like like a, a single round of artillery that's guided, will land within you know ten feet of the target and kill everybody because of the explosive power. You could do that with one shell. Those are expensive, and 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 Ukraine has basically started running out of them. A cluster round effectively does the same thing, except it doesn't have to hit within ten feet of the target. It's only got to hit within like you know fifty yards of the target. Because it'll scatter enough bomblets over an area, it'll take out a football field. So, so instead of having to have a precision shell aimed at a target, if you know where the other guy's artillery is, you fire one of these cluster rounds, or maybe two. They're much cheaper than than guided artillery. You fire one or two of these things, and you've pretty much got a guarantee. You get the same effect, a guarantee, a guaranteed kill. You'll take out the you'll take out the artillery piece. You'll kill the crew. You'll you'll destroy their support their support uh, uh, towing vehicles and trucks, and and so the Ukrainians have been using these very effectively in lieu of this precision guided stuff. And this is the you know basically what they're doing is they are degrading the Russian ability to drop artillery shells on on Ukrainian advances within 60 seconds of identifying them, and and this has been ongoing for about the last two weeks. And it's making a difference. Really? The, the report. Well, we got a dash to break here, Lou. So, uh, okay. all that. The SP Futures up 27. The SP Futures 185. This is all NVIDIA. NVIDIA is up 38 bucks, over 500. I had a feeling I think it would be over 500 last night, but not enough to. Well, you really had to pay to play, Dan. I mean, it was, the options were to the moon. We'll be right back. Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freaks guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. 
Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands. But you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here. Right now, right now, right now. Hello and welcome to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom on the board. We have Dan Genius in studio. We have Lou Michaels with us on the on the line. We've got SP's up 26, Nasdaq's up 179. Obviously, the most the uh, the uh, the secret nobody kept was Nvidia was going to have uh, ran up into these numbers and. Uh, Stock's up 30. It's over 500. In the office here, we had a little bit of a poll, and I was the only one who said it was going to be over 500. Of course, I didn't buy anything because the calls were... I bet if you'd have bought the 500 call, you're still down. I bet it was like... Oh, I guess I can look. Uh, uh, I want to look after I do all the rest of the stuff. Dow Future is actually down 9, which is sort of weird. But uh, now the stuff is in the Dow. Over in Asia, we've got Kneecap 276.9%. Hang Sang making a big comeback here. Up 2%, 366 uh, 18,202, still nowhere near the 20,000 they were like, what, three weeks ago now? Uh, yeah. Shanghai up three, call that flat, that's a little weird. Over in Europe, uh, DAX up 63.4%, FTSE up 30.4%, kick around up 37.5%. By the way, Dan, you, you do realize that NVIDIA is going to run the world. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, they, I just yeah. want to make sure that you realize that. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ten, Ten year up one basis point, 4.21 bun. 
Unchanged 2.51. Japan down two basis points, 0.65. We've got oil uh, still well, up a little bit, up 19 cents, still under 80 bucks, 79.08. Brent up 25 cents, 83.46. Natural gas down four cents, 245. We've got gold uh, down 220, but it rallied yesterday, 19.45. Silver down 14 cents, as all the guys on fast money last night. But it said SLV was one of their biggest buy picks for the rest of the year. Oh yeah, I don't know about that, but because uh, as soon as that gets to 25, it's, they, they hit it, it's like whack-a-mole or something. Uh, but we'll see this time. Maybe it'll go through, even though it's uh, well, like I said, it's 24.25. Copper down two cents at to 377. We've got Bitcoin, which has been getting clobbered, is down today. One old on 103, but it's actually higher than the sh- we were doing the show yesterday. Still a ways off the. Uh, the thirty bucks it, or three thirty thousand it was, and the U.S. dollar, which has been jumping, today is actually uh, uh, well, it's up again today. So the, the euro is down to one hundred eight. That's one of the reasons why the market's doing this, I think. Dan, the British pound's one twenty six. It's yep. been one twenty seven forever. So dollar movements really do drive a lot of this stuff. Uh, Andrew, what do you got for us? Traffic, weather, sports. All right, it is six thirty nine here in Chicago on Thursday, August twenty fourth. Starting off with some sports, we have some wins here. The Cubs won over the Tigers, 6-4. And the White Sox won over the Mariners, 5-4. Now over to Chicago weather. It is currently 82 degrees. We're going to have mostly sunny skies, at least right now. We're going to have a high of 99 today as we are in an excessive heat warning. Uh, and that's going to pick up, especially around, uh, around dinner time, around 5 p.m. Over in Phoenix, they're currently at 86 degrees. Uh, they're going to have a high of 104, and that's going to pick up around the same time, around 5 p.m. Uh, but they also have an air quality alert right now due to uh, high pollution. I wouldn't breathe it if I were you. Yeah, not, not yeah. sounding good. Uh, but finally, for Chicago traffic, it uh, looks like we got some uh, delays on the inbound Kennedy, as usual. A uh, little bit on the inbound uh, Eisenhower, but uh, further out near Wedgwood. Uh, but if you're coming in on the, let's see, the Stevenson, uh, we do have the exit ramps to northbound Harlem are closed uh, at an accident just nearby on Harlem Avenue uh, between I-55 and 47th Street. Uh, are causing some delays out there, but otherwise it's about business as usual. So back to you, Chief. Um, Lou, a couple things. First of all, let me uh, talk a second about uh, NVIDIA here, and I'm not about to say, you know, they might actually own that space for a while. I mean, they own it forever because that, uh, you know, that whole industry has a way to get commoditized pretty fast. Those guys are pretty good at catching up, but we'll see. We'll see. They, have it, they have it for a while, but they had $12 billion in revenue last quarter, I believe, Dan. Is that the truth? Yes. And they are, are pontificating on uh, $16 billion next quarter, which is one hell of a jump. Um, so if you do the math, give them the $16 billion, okay, which is a big increase. It's $64 billion on the year, because I can still add a little bit. Um, divided by 2.47 billion shares is $26 um, a share in revenue. Okay, so you divide that goes into, as Jethro would say, the where the stock is right now, you're talking roughly 20 times revenue. Uh, and, and revenue that's 25% higher, make that 30% higher than your best quarter ever. Uh, so I... Uh, I mean, I'm going to say Cisco in 2000 got to 10 times revenue, and that was my danger sign. These guys are double that. Right. And I'm essentially going up. I The big question last night, a couple of shows I watched, Dan, were uh, how long can they control the field? And I don't know. Has anybody ever been able to control the field for one or two years in that business? I don't think they have. I mean, right now they are. But 
tech move tech moves really quickly and so uh you know a lot can change in in a short period of time and i do agree with you this is more of a time to trim so trim into these rallies on your nvidia stock well and we're gonna have to actually ask lou about two things uh, by the way, your, your buddy in Turkey, Lou, uh, finally, even though he went to 25% interest rates this morning, these guys last year, they've sort of seen the light here. They had, their money supply last year grew by 25%, and their inflation was about 25%. Duh, they do, they do match up. Well, since April of this year, they've dropped their money supply, um, you know, which is by raising the interest rates, that's one of the re- You raise the interest rates by dragging money out of the system. One doesn't happen before the other. They've actually dropped this money supply dramatically in the last three or four months, Dan. I don't know if you notice this. So they actually might be trying to go after inflation the right way. But the thing I have to blame Lou about, two things. One is, uh, Lou, since you were the only guy who was uh, a teenager in 1947, uh, uh, <laughs> just saying, um, you realize that you... At the hottest August in record in Chicago, now everything is, this is all because of global warming, right? Every rainstorm now is because of global warming, no matter what. Now we've got these two really hot days in Chicago. The records we're breaking are from 1947. And now here, the August 1947 heat wave, June and July of 1947 featured below normal temperatures, but August was sizzling. The average temperature was 80.2. Wow. Makes it the hottest August on record. There were four days of 100 or grading, including three in a row, and five other days with a temperature of at least 97. So they had four days of 100 or greater and five others at 97 or more. Um, I'm not saying we should be pouring carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. I actually think that's probably not a good idea. I don't think we should be polluting the world like China does. But to say that none of this has happened before and every single time it rains is global warming, I think is a little out there, Lou, don't you? Or no? Are you well, the, but the, the point of this, Chief, is not... And I'm going to sound like a conspiracy crazy here. The point of this is not to deal with global warming. The point of this is to develop control systems that allow your governments to exercise and force more control over its population and in doing so generate lots of revenue for the friends of government. You, 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 think, you think this attack on gas stoves is aimed at reducing indoor no. pollution. They don't mm-hmm. care about that. No, this is just it's a control mechanism, and and it, this this is, I mean that's where this climate but who, is, this, is is headed. As as a guy who's a, uh, we'll kind of go off topic. As a guy who's a, uh, a student of Russia, which is the bureaucracy is is Russia, right? Pretty much, or has been. Uh, it's probably out of school, but something like that. When you when you talk about what what appears to us. To be obvious, steering in some directions by somebody somewhere. I don't know. I mean, I. I, I don't know. I've told us so I'll keep it real brief. Mesro had when they were still around had a big big group of their correspondents met out in Washington, and they asked me to come out and talk about using options to have protected pro- portfolios, those kinds of things. Yeah, it was very nice, but the uh, they had a guest speaker, and it wasn't me. Uh, was her name? Was it Melissa Bean? She was the representative from. Uh, North Shore, somewhere. It, yes, very yeah. nice, very nice. And uh, so she, she was right. talking about this is in the midst of the two thousand and seven eight fiasco, where these banks every weekend and banks are being taken over and so. And I said, uh, by the way, um, if I were to ask you, I mean, I know your politics a little bit. Would you say we should have more banks or less? And she goes, Well, more, of course. And I said, Okay. Well, in the last three weeks, 
we've lost like 15 of them. Remember how fast they were going down? I said, in every weekend, two or three or four banks get taken over by a bunch of other people, and it, but they're always kind of the same people. And I look at these prices, and I'm not a banking expert, and I say, uh, who exactly is getting this bank where the, where the Fed will come in? They'll take all the crap all loans, and then they'll, they'll push the, the good stuff, the buildings and the drive-throughs and all the rest of the stuff, to another bank for you know some amount of dough. I said, does anybody from, I mean, I know you're on one side of the aisle, but I, I assume you talk to people on the other side of the aisle. Does, do a group of four or five of you get together like once every six months and review any of this stuff? She goes, why would we do that? I said, well, because some of these prices... Looks to me like somebody's paying somebody or somebody's sitting on somebody's lap. The next question would be if I come up with 10 million bucks with some people and raise the money, can I get in that room? And she goes, Well, no, you can't. I said, How come? <laughs> How come? She goes, Well, the guys in there are like the guys in there. I mean, there's a, you're right, Lou, I'm with you 100%. There's a momentum to this. But where does it come from? As much as that would be an incredible conversation, if you stuck Joe Biden sitting here on the show this morning, he'd say, I don't want to do that. Right, that's not my intention. Yet, yet it, there's a momentum to this. Where does it but, come but from? That's, but that's because, and I'll just give you my my take on this. The, and this, by the way, comes out of Vivek's. I'm going to call him Vivek because I, I'll screw his last name up. Vivek's book about about the intrusion of this particular ideology. This, and then you know, you can call it whatever you want, the hive mind, whatever. But this particular ideology, working its way into corporate boardrooms. What you have is a is a large portion of American elites and, and, and global elites who all think kind of the same way because it works to their advantage. So so the ability you know you, you want people to to buy your product or, or refrain from using your other guy's product or support your investments. Um, one of the ways to do it is to align yourself with with the green movement. And, and you could say, look, we're, we're saving the planet. At, at the same time, I'm making a gazillion dollars, but we're saving the planet. You're, you're forcing, and, and it's not like there's some giant, you know, email connected chain where they all get on and, and say the same thing at the same time, although it looks like that. It does. It, it does. <laughs> it, 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 it's a, a like mind, ideological perspective on the world but do they, that, that, I guess causes, my, that I, causes them to line up. Here's the Almost question identically for, on these issues. Here, here's the question for you, because uh, I saw this on the trading floor, and I don't want to go into it in much time, but it's this exact same sort of thing. Is the people who allegedly think this way, do they think it because they really think it, or do they think it, wait a minute, if I, if I go along with, say, the DPM system, where it used to be market maker system, I could get one of these DPMs. That's a whole different program than saying, I really think the DPM system is the way to go. Now, now these people fall in the line because if they do, they're going to get a contract for the thing in Texas where they scrub the carbon dioxide out of the air or some crap. Does the fact that, it, that that's where the money is all of a sudden makes people think well, that way? It, it, it is, but it, it also, it's where the money is, but it, it, aligns with, it aligns with a particular ideological worldview. And so you've got this, this, this you know, we have, this is how fascism develops. Well, yeah. You end up you end up with a an elite group that has ready access to to people in power, basically saying this is our this is our position, 
and, and it's a way to make money. So we're all going to align ourselves this way. I watch this happen, and, and, and you can see it play out when you when you watch people taking in positions, economic, political, personal, whatever, that are just crazy. So so my, my favorite is the fact that for you know for a year or two years, the environmental movement and, and all the people surrounding it were listening to the words of a mentally ill teenager. Who, who was standing up and saying, I'm the face of the, you know, the new environmental movement. She was highly useful to them because she was, she was spitting out the stuff that, that well, promoted their products well, the and, question and promoted you... their, their worldview. But she was, I mean, she was mentally ill and is mentally ill and had a history of mental illness. Who are we talking about? And, uh, uh, Thunberg. Oh, okay. And, and you know, but, but this, this person was... But how how much of it? I guess my question I'm asking, which is impossible well, to answer. Anyway, except for let me get back to my point. The, my point is, anybody who looked at this young woman, and and had looked at what she was saying and the way she acted, realized this was somebody that you should not be listening to, that she was being exploited, and that this was somebody that needed to be you know just put off to the side. Yes, Greta, you know, understand Greta. Here, take your meds. The, well. I get, well, if, my, if the you question, saw that play out, but and yet and yet everybody aligned with her. You see this playing out. Right, I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm trying to, abs- I'm trying to get to the definition of alignment. Uh, is is it they actually think this way, or are they Claude Rains and Casablanca? It's it's a combination. It's a combination of both. My, the, the winds are coming from Vichy, and I always go with the wind. It, it's yeah. a combina- It's a combination of both. I, I mean, there's a certain cynicism to it, but there are also a huge number of true believers that are in play on this. This is why, for example, again, you you see why why on earth are our political leaders political leadership taking the position that we should allow males to compete with women in women's sports, or that we should be allowing biological males? That's what I liked about Nikki Haley last night. She goes force biological males or allow biological males to force their way into women's locker rooms, women's bathrooms, and women only spaces. Why why are we? These are crazy positions. They're illogical. They don't make sense no. from any perspective, and yet, and yet, we have our political elite literally lining up to promote this. The the uh, Department of Education, DOE, which which by the way, I was hoping somebody last night would say should be disbanded immediately. Um, How about four of them did. Yeah. W- w- great. Good. Um, well, what does that even I, mean, I, though? I mean, I, what does it even mean? There needs to be there needs to be some sort of funding. Somebody has to do it. We well, do something. Well, you say it needs to be funding for what? Well, I mean, we 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 don't want to go with our, our our system here. This is actually a long conversation, but uh, um, what was his name? Who was the guy who was the Speaker of the House uh, for a long time? Tom uh, Foley? Yeah, or Gingrich, or who? No, Tom Foley. He came here and he had a breakfast at the SIBO when I was on the board. Very, very distinguished guy. Big dude, like 6'6". Six, six. Uh, but he... Well, somebody asked him, well, you know, what about education? And he said, well, do you want to be like France? Of course, of course, the guy answering the question was a Dumbo. Let's not say a Dumbo. He was a good trader, a good guy. But he says, you know, do you want to be like France? And he goes, what do you mean? He says, well, in France, everything is comes from the Central Education Authority where every kid, every second grader on the Tuesday of November whatever is studying the same thing all over the country. So here we have federal government has virtually nothing to do with education. It's all local. We, we try and fund a little bit here and there if we can to help out. He said, but that's that's our model. Would you like to go to the other model? And the guy goes, well, no. 
He said, well, then basically quit pitching the federal government. Now, they've taken over more stuff, like you say, Lou, but I mean, most, most of it is still very independent and, and not so good in that regard. But I mean, I think that there would be some people that would say it probably would make sense if every kid countrywide started out with a thousand bucks in the federal government, of which the local people pile on, so at least there's some floor wherever you are. I mean, I could see something like that. I don't know what you get by dis- disbanding, because I think there's book programs, there's all kinds of programs where they help well, out let, these. All little- right. So, so let me. So let let's let me push that question just to the side. Let me finish the thought. You have people taking insane positions. Oh, I without a doubt. Counter logic. This is a marker of the ideological capture that you see across the board. And again, they're not necessarily working collusively, but they are working collusively because they have the same ideological worldview that pushes this stuff forward. And I'm gonna, I'm just gonna throw this out. In, in 28, 2017, when I started to see intersectionalism training coming up in our corporate clients, I, start, I, I raised the issue at one of my firm's firm-wide meetings, my law firm at the time, and said, this is a, gonna be a disaster, it's a mistake, it violates our federal and local laws on, on employment discrimination, and it's going to bite us. It's going to bite these clients in the rear, and we need to tell them this. That that warning fell on completely deaf ears. You saw the the capture by uh, of of the DEI philosophy that just ran through m- almost every major corporation in the United States. You are now seeing the lawsuits starting to come forward. Gannett has just been sued. Uh, a couple of major law firms are being sued by white employees, in most cases male, who are saying, you've been spitting out this anti-white male rhetoric for the last three years in all of our corporate training, and now I don't get a promotion, and now I'm gonna point back to that training and say, you guys are racists, and, and you're gonna, we're, we're gonna go to court on it. And it's, it, not, it's, it's not fun to, if it goes both ways. No, no, it's not. It's not fun, it, or it's not fun if everybody gets held to the same standard. No, that would not be the... And, and, anyway. So let's go on. If you want to talk about the education. No, thing, I, what I, I'm saying is it, I'm just trying to figure out. There, there is this momentum. I'm, I'm with you. But there was, there was momentum on the CBOE, and I don't, I don't have time to go into it, from where, what it was to where it is now. The people upstairs that got in charge, especially somebody like Bill Bratsky, were absolutely just beside themselves that they were being held to standards by a bunch of what they consider to be lunatics on the trading floor. That they actually owned the place. So over a long period of time, in concert with the big firms, they got the ownership from, they gave people some stock, but the control and ownership went to people who were never owners. I mean, you couldn't own a seat if you were in an executive position. All of a sudden, they owned a bunch of the stock. I mean, there, there was momentum there. It was always on the wall. You could always smell it. You could never look at it. I mean, I, I, mean, I, but I'm, I guess my question is, on a personal issue, this is never going to happen, what if the phone rang and all of a sudden it's uh, Johnson, the mayor, his buddy calling me and saying, you know, we're going to pay you a hundred grand to come in and, and analyze the, the pension fund, and what could we do? Maybe use some options to help it out, or whatever, or do some risk control. Now, if I say yes tomorrow morning on the show, I'm probably less likely to say what a horrible mayor I think the guy's been in his first ninety days. I mean, I guess my question is, Lou, these people actually think like that, or because they see an opportunity to get one of these stupid contracts, are they just going to shut up for four years? I mean, I guess I don't, you don't. I mean, you're not going to be able to answer it. But so I, I, don't, I can't believe they all absolutely think like that. Maybe they do. I, I don't know. I, I watched. I watched this. This stuff move into major law firms, and it moved into major law firms because the clients were pushing it. 
and the clients were pushing it because they had people coming out of our schools, out of our universities, the elite universities that these firms were hiring from, and, and non-elite universities coming forward, pushing this idea of diversity, and then using that as a, as a wedge to drive into the, the heart of the organization and say, look, we need to start doing this kind of training. We need to start doing these kinds of promotions. We need to start taking these things into account. And I watched the firms, which should have known better, which had employment law divisions standing that would have that should have stood up and said, we're violating any number of civil rights laws by expressly considering race in our hiring and and firing decisions, um, and, and you know our our political positions on this, we are expressly considering race or gender or or sexual orientation, and and that's a violation. But but nobody within those firms stood up and said that. I mean, I did, but Good. It, as I said, it fell on it fell on deaf ears, and and the the counter wave of lawsuits is starting to roll through. It was and worse than that. Well developed. It was worse than that, Lou. You were to fart in church. Well, whatever. Yeah. But there's a very well-developed... Well, you, you put things so eloquently, Tom. Um, <laughs> there is a... But it's true, a, right? They wanted you out of there. They didn't they, want to listen to you. Nobody, nobody, nobody came to me to fire me. It just, yeah. They just said, you know, we, 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 don't think, we don't think that's correct. And, and we don't think it's correct because our clients are saying this. And so... And so you know, there's a very well-developed body of law out, out there, the employment litigation world, that that deals with this kind of, quote, racism in, in, in making employment decisions. And, and the irony, and I'll leave you with this because it's 6 a.m., the irony of this is that body of anti-racist litigation is now going to be applied to the people in power. It's going to be applied to these DEI groups because they've been and, and they call for active discrimination against a particular. Well, but how, how is that? How is it? We can go over a minute or two since the three of us are all here. Uh, how, how does that? I'll go back to being local, which I shouldn't. But how does that affect this Brandon Johnson? I mean, I, you know, I hope I wish the guy luck because we need we need some help here. He's got three people for the police chief. One's a Hispanic guy inside the group, a black guy inside, and a black guy outside. Well, there's no way he's going outside, okay? And there's no way the Hispanic guy is going to beat out the black guy. So if, if this was a, a betting on a sports betting, I'd have it a 100% chance by picking the guy he picked. Now, that doesn't mean the guy doesn't have a nice career. He seems like a pretty a hell of a good guy and probably is somewhat qualified. As a matter of fact, he could be very qualified, and I wish him all the luck. But you, you can't – but if you were to say – no white person, no Asian, no no American Indian, no anybody was even thought about for this job. You can't cut ninety five percent or ninety percent of the people out of it and expect to get the. Maybe you will be lucky enough to get a really good person. It might even be the best person. I mean, it, that happens. But but if you cut everybody else out, and but if you were to say that today, if you were to go out and say that that's no way to hire people. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense. Even if, it, I mean, I, I mean, it doesn't make any sense from a business angle. You're supposed to hire the best person, best person. And, and maybe they did. And I, and I, and well, I hope they went, did. That 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 went that went out the door ten years ago. Yeah. Well, and I'm saying, but how the, how, first, how? the first question, the first question in Chicago that gets asked for any kind of hire like that is what what color is the guy? That's the first question. Yeah, but now he's you gonna, know, and he, you know that. But he's going to pay for this, whatever he's going to do, with with, with uh, he basically must have figured out that he. 
is never going to buy a million dollar house, or maybe he is, but now the transfer tax on houses over a million bucks, which in this inflation isn't even that great of a place. I mean, you would think you'd be getting a Taj Mahal, but you're not. Now we're going we're gonna to increase the transfer tax like exorbitantly because we're going to tax those people because they have a million dollar house, they got something that they don't deserve. It's not like they maybe earned it, for God's sake. They've got it, and by the way, their money if, is our if money. You are, if you are a member of the Church of DEI or, or Black Lives Matter or, or any of these other very progressive social activist organizations, you do not believe that anybody earned anything. Right, they stole it from somebody. It, it's all it's all it's all driven by your race. If you're white, whatever you got is the result of unearned privilege. That that drives our system and and so it's perfectly appropriate for us to take it away from you but how do you get to the part where that guy gets on the bus every day and goes to work and i don't i should have the same amount what where, where, where was how do you ever get that part of it i don't, I don't know see, I mean, the dude's doing something he, he's actually going somewhere every day i'm sitting there saying i don't have enough i i, I, I don't i don't i don't get it why anybody would listen to anybody like that but they, they do evidently that, that's part of the religion, man. Well, Lou, thank you very much. Thank, hey, thanks a lot for the, the Ukraine stuff. Uh, what's your, uh, if you were a betting man, which maybe you sneakily are, uh, guy alive or dead? Uh, I think he's dead. And and I I think they've killed him, and whether the, he died in a plane crash or died some, somewhere else, but I think he's, I think well, he's if, dead. If he, got, if he got wind of it and didn't get on the plane knowing the thing was going to get, do you think it was shot down or blew up or what? Oh, I think uh, probably a bomb. I mean, that would be the easiest way to do it. But, right, so but if, he, if I, he knew about it, and he sacrificed the other nine guys knowing it was going to blow up and ducked off at the last minute, he's not a, not a very nice guy either. Well, I mean, but I think it could go even deeper than that. I mean, he has close ties to Putin. Putin could have just come to him and said, look, the next time there's a plane crash, we're going to put your name in the manifest, but you've got to disappear. Yeah. I'm revoking... What is it, uh, Pulp Fiction? I'm revoking your Russia privileges. So, so if all of a sudden you see a guy moving into your house next door up in the mountains and it's him, what are you gonna do? I'd probably take a take a few pictures, maybe go over, chat with him, see if I see uh, you know if I could practice my Russian. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Lou, take care of yourself. SP Futures right. A up to, only up twenty, only up twenty. SP Futures up one fifty six. We still have a uh, Nvidia up at five oh seven, thirty up thirty five eighty four. Be right back, Stacks and Jackson. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. 
Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708 349 3456 that's 708-349-3456 or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com that's myhomesourcerealty.com stocks jocks stocks and jocks you are out of control here right now right here right now right now Something happening here. Hello, no Jackson. I'm Tim Allen. And we're on the board. Dan Janine is in studio. In studio. Yes. Joust, helping me joust with Lou, which is always a great joust. I, I don't know anybody I've ever met that has a background like that guy. With the, well, he took the Russian and the Air Force Academy and went over there and just just right for the times with all the, uh, you know, with all the stuff going on over there. I don't know what we do without him to find out what it means. I think, I think you get a better view of what's going on over there from him on Thursday morning than I see anywhere else on, on TV all week. I mean, I just, I mean, uh, and he still has a, knows enough Russian to be able to watch Russian TV and, and actually, you know, listen to this stuff. Uh, interesting, you know, I was watching last night, Dan, we got to talk about where the market is here and all other kind of stuff, but, um, and, and interest rates, because I've had a bunch of questions from uh, my uh, listeners this week, knowing you will be on, but, you know, last night they they were back and forth in the debate now on this whole thing with, with oil and how all of a sudden we're not producing anything and blah, 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 and, uh, I don't. I mean, I'm not going to debate what I think is probably they're right about the attitude of this current administration to oil production uh, and those kinds of things. But you know, if there, if ever you want to see something about politics and actuality, there's a thing here called the uh, what the hell is it? I mean, I, I think put a new name on it. U.S. crude and natural gas rotary rig operation. You can get this chart. And it is, and, it, and they go every month back to 1973. They'll tell you how many of the big rigs are in operation. And they go from a tippy top at probably 3,300, make that 4,000 or something, in 1982, down to two something, back up to 1,000, back down. And, and they go back up and down all over the place based on everything going on with OPEC. If the prices get too high, you know, these guys stop drilling and they sell the rig somewhere else and then all of a sudden the price gets too low and they go back and they start up again. And, and if you go through here, you almost have to mentally put in the, co- in, the in the column who was president at the time. And and, and, you, and you you get the feeling that it almost doesn't matter. It's a, it's pr- kind of price-driven. And, uh, and, and everybody talked about how, you know, Trump did this. And the fact is, I mean, Trump started his presidency when? In uh, January of seventeen. And there were like right. 750 rigs. And when he left in 2020 or 2021, right? The, that's when he was. Uh, there were there were 374. All right. Now since this guy's been in there, a, alleged enemy, and he probably is to the industry, we've gone from 374 to 687. So by any stretch, and I said four of the goofballs last night were talking about how the, this, this great production in oil during the Trump administration and how Biden has torpedoed the whole thing. 
It is absolutely untrue. It is untrue. <laughs> but I'm not saying that it, they didn't want to. I'm saying that the industry and what's going on in the industry is like bigger than the president for that four years is what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. And there's not a direct correlation between what happens with oil prices and who's president at the time. I mean, there's a whole different dynamic in terms of understanding the movement in oil prices. And if you recall, uh, Chief, going back to March of 2020, when COVID began, there was... Um, you know, we had this major decline in oil prices. We had the, the Saudis and the Russians at, at you know, in the, having their own oil wars. And, but that was all masked by COVID, right? So we, everyone was looking at China. Well, it was before COVID, wasn't it? Yeah, it was right before, right as COVID was starting, but that was masked by what was going on with COVID. And as a result, it got less attention. But what was, ha- what was happening was something that had a major impact on the economy. And that was, there was a change in the, there was a pullback in, in um, production. There was a, a battle between the Saudis and the Russians that were caught, was causing a lot of volatility in oil prices. And it really didn't matter who was in office. And nor does it matter on this side either who's in office, who should not be taking, con- taking credit for what happened. So oftentimes I think there is a mismatch. And there's, uh, as you're pointing out, and I 100% agree that there's a, you should not be taking credit for something when it's when it's good when it really isn't wasn't really something that you had direct impact over so i, I think i mean trump favored the industry but but the industry was bigger than him yes exactly what, what it, summer dan you can remember this, your, your, your your mind is better uh what summer was it when the oil futures went below zero because ib's ib's system buried buried their clients by selling the stuff below zero was it 19 or was that 18 uh, it was twenty, wasn't it? No, it was a. Uh, it was before twenty. It was before twenty. Okay, so yeah, there was. Um, you know what? I'm I'm not positive, but it must have been nineteen or eighteen because in June of of uh, nineteen we had nine hundred and seventy oil rigs. June of twenty, you know, and, and Trump obviously didn't want this to happen. We went down to two hundred and seventy four. But that was the that was the that was that conflict between the Saudis and the yeah, and the Russians yeah. that was going on. That was the pullback. That was the pullback in production. That was intentional. I mean, and and I do think that some of it was intentional because the world was looking at China at the time, and not really paying attention to this. So, yes, it's more than what the president. It kind of goes over and above what the the administration can control at that time because it really is controlled by OPEC. It's controlled by the countries that um, that still still have power in those areas and probably have less today. Um, and I do agree that that the U.S. should be more focused on internal production. I think that's better for our economy as a whole to be less dependent. Um, but there are changes that are going on that really don't relate to our current president either, that don't relate to our current administration in terms of the people who are active in this industry, and a lot of whom I talk to because we're, and I've talked to them at this conference that I'm at, the Ideas Conference oh, yeah, here in Chicago. Oh, yeah, excellent well, conference. I got this quick graph up here from uh, uh, t- uh, December of 19, uh, XLE, this must yes. this chart, in, it has to be the same thing as the oil prices, was 60, and it, and it, and it closed down, in, uh, and, it, it, and this is the XLE, is the oil index, it's not the actual oil of its companies, and they follow it pretty good. And it went from there to that dead June. This must have been the time. I was down to twenty six bucks. So it had, it had to be a. Uh, it had to be the summer of twenty. Twenty, right? The summer exactly. of twenty is when yeah, that's when, when, it, it, when everybody it basically when everybody basically shed seven hundred rigs in like four yes. months. Yep, exactly. That and, and there were companies that that we knew that we had followed that were that were under a lot of pressure that didn't have a choice. 
Um, there were some that were sitting idle in those rigs when they said idle, don't make money. Yeah. Um, there are costs. Uh, so they, you know, there was, uh, that was the impact, that was the oil's impact on our economy that was not being looked at as heavily as, for example, COVID or some other things that were going on at the time. So, yeah, absolutely. It was after that conversation I had with Kenny Polkari well, in March the, of uh, yeah. 2020. But, you know, so after, uh, so the, the, the champion of oil, the Republican Donald Trump, in his last year, saw an 80% decline in drilling rings. Absolutely. Yeah, but I'm not going to blame him. Right. I don't I mean, think he doesn't deserve credit, nor does he deserve blame. Right. And the same thing with the current president. And I he certainly don't deserve. think that this guy is, 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 they've tripled under his watch. I don't not, think that was because of him. No, absolutely not. So. It's really the industry and, and talking to the people, the CEOs of the companies that, that are in these um, fields, any of the energy fields or any related energy fields, it is not driven by administrative decisions here. I, I, will, I will go on a limb here and, and say that right now the number is 687, that if the administration was more favorable, I think they ought to be more favorable, could, that number could be could, 800 or Could be higher, absolutely. Would be higher. But it doesn't mean – but the idea that, that somehow – I mean, when you look here, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Obama was what? He was uh, eight, two, 2008 to 2016. Yes. Well, they 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 shrunk by uh, period by. Uh, they were 17. <clears throat> so he he started in 2009. There were like 1600, and when he got out of there, in uh in 20, what would that have been? Uh, he he would leave in uh, 2017, correct? 16, yeah. Um, January 17, it went down to 683. So they, they dropped by half in his administration. But now was that because more countries around the world were exporting, or plus we were doing a lot of fracking too? Now these right, the fracking stuff's not in this chart. So, right. so but it, sort of it's not like this this chart's a bible. But what I'm saying is, you know, once in a while, <laughs> I had his wacky friend years ago that said, "Never let the facts get in the way of a good story." Right. You know, and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, brings to light a few people I know. So, so yeah, you know, right. So we've got uh, the big question is for all my the listeners that listen to you, and we got plenty of time. Uh, we're we're going to to uh, the market, the market, the treasury market on Monday with a bunch of cash. Uh, there's a couple of bonds that you kind of signed people onto last week, um, but by and large. Uh, I emailed you the other day because I always ask Dan on this stuff because you're saying it's it's still not time to to go out to the five-year. I'm I'm with you on that. Yes, yeah, and and, and I would say, you know, the six months certainly you're getting um, uh, on the T-bills, you're getting 5.5%. That's consistent. I do think rates are going higher still. Um, We may have one, um, possibly two increases. We have September coming up. Uh, which is coming up, uh, you know, f- fairly quickly. So we're talking a few more well, weeks. It's August 24th. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty quick. <laughs> and then we have November as well. And the question, though, I think also that I, because I had a client send a message asking the same question about a CD. So his question was, do I buy the five-year CD at 5.7 or do I buy the one-year CD at 5.55? And to me, that's a no-brainer. You buy the one-year CD at 5.55 because you're getting most of the yield and most of the return without taking that risk that rates continue to go higher and it is likely that we will see higher rates so that'll that'll uh, show up in cd rates six months from now for example i hear um people talking about pivoting and and i don't i just don't understand where that viewpoint comes from we're not in that environment Again, people have to step back and look at the big picture, look at the secular trend in the market, look at the contractionary environment we're in, 
look at the, this is just the, the way things go in this environment and nothing is going to change that. So uh, rates will likely continue to go higher. And part of that is that we still have inflation. We still have um, a lot of money in the system. The still have inflation. You obviously don't listen to people on CNBC. Prices are coming down. Inflation's mm. going away. How is it that prices can be coming down? We've never had a negative inflation month yet, even if you believe their numbers. Yeah, I don't believe what they're saying because I've talked to, I'm at, at a conference here in Chicago, the Ideas Conference, which, by the way, is a terrific conference with a lot of great profitable companies, uh, smaller companies, but companies that are, I've met with the CEOs of seven or eight companies already one-on-one, and they're just fantastic people. Great information. They're really the best resource. So yes, when you, I ask them the questions, um, because to me, they're the people who really see what's going on. And it's I, I, I don't agree with what, what the talking heads are necessarily saying, and their viewpoints do change day to day. So longer term, I think you have to look, look and talk to people who have a longer term focus, whether they're economists, whether they're CEOs of companies, and you actually need to talk to people who are doing this all day long for work and not just reporting on specific items. So I don't think um, yeah, how, you know, the pivot how, is going to happen. How nervous, um, nobody's going to say this at a conference, but you have a way about you of uh, maybe having an adult beverage with somebody and getting the real, how nervous are people with, uh, I mean, obviously I'm, in a, I'm a smaller company in a business that doesn't want any small companies. I mean, we're being regulated. I mean, if they, you know, do they do the best to get rid of small firms. Uh, these smaller companies that you look at, I'm fascinated by the fact that you're still finding them and there's people that are entrepreneurs in this country and they're still there they are uh how nervous are they or or I'll use the term hope we're not blind by the fact that so much of this money now is coming especially in any of the stuff like you know uh, infrastructure stuff yes. is coming from government i mean how nervous are they by some regulation switch and all of a sudden they're out of business i mean i mean that's you know really in our business i mean i, I I mean, it's it's a fear all the time, you know. I mean, right, exactly. I mean, in our I, industry and in the, in the I mean, investment. I mean, yeah. How do you? I mean, how, are these guys convinced that you know the world going forward, the U.S. of A. is going to be like they remember it? I mean, I, boy, oh boy, I, I, I mean, I, I'd still do it. I'm, I've been an entrepreneur at heart my whole life, but I'd be real. I, I don't know how you'd worry about it every night. I don't think they're as skeptical, and, and neither am I. And I think part of the reason for that is the. Um, in this administration, in this environment, we have not seen that switch in many industries, or at least the ones that we're focused on. The companies who we're looking at are already well capitalized. Most of them have positive free cash flow. That is not a concern that I've heard from any of them. Who are their customers? I mean, their seems, customers seems now that if you don't have the, the government board. as your customer. The, go- the government, right, but there has been money all- allotted for government spending. And in most cases, the most companies are very smart to not have such a large exposure to the government. So one company, for example, Powell, which does, they make electric switches. They're, they're the ones that, um, they do electric um, transmission, basically. And they're, um, you know, a when small... You say switches, you're talking about... Switching equipment, not not a switch on a wall. No, a switch on a wall okay, for, right. for for commercial, not not residential. But think of your circuit breakers. Uh, think of those little power um, houses that you see. Yep. Um, we need more of them. For example, out in California, where they're having wildfires, um, because they actually um, would would have controlled or could control the the grid a little bit better but they have a product um they have a you know that's on it's hot right now it's it's actually doing very well there's a lot of demand 
um, liquid natural LNG, um, liquid natural gas. Um, you know, the transmission of that is done, you know, electronically, and then also getting um, gas to electric, um, you know, having gas as a power source to electricity, which is something that I think a lot of people don't realize. Electric isn't just electric. You still need an energy source. You still need a power source, and most of that is coming whoa, whoa, from... Whoa, whoa, You plug it in a wall, and it's there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, unfortunately, that's a... And you, you know, can get rid of all your coal plants, you get rid of everything, <laughs> and it's still supposed to be there. Yeah, unfortunately, that's that's not how it goes. I mean, uh, use, use uh, my state as an example. Florida Power and Light sources more than half of their energy from natural gas, and our electricity... They, they do a great job with electricity, and when you start looking at things like clean energy, um, you have to again look at the sources, and they really—it ha hasn't really proven itself out with, say, wind power, solar, batteries. There is a portion of that, but the largest portion is still coming from gas. And there are people that foolishly believe, especially in New York, that if you burn natural gas 100 miles away and put it over wires it's somehow more efficient than you having a gas furnace and they're out of their mind yeah it, i totally agree with you on that and this company again the ceo and the and the, you know, i've met with these guys twice recently powell is their name is the name of the company ticker symbol p-o-w-l um they are really the the cream of the crop in their business you know small cap company free cash flow positive um you know there's just a lot of they do a lot of stuff for even like big exhibition halls and for railroads and especially have, stuff. They do some stuff for that. Their 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 growth area right now is LNG, um, and it's it's really the transmission and building um, data centers and building these what they call houses, these little powerhouses, if you will, <laughs> um, that are that are going to be um, sources of power. Um, you know, rather than having these long, um, you know, this long transmission, they're going to, these sources, these are going to be sources so of these power. So these are their, their pop-up powers. Pop-up powers, right. That so they're, gonna, they're, they're gas? They are gas. That's the, the predominantly. But they, this is an electric company. This is a company that does electric, trans, you know, transmission. Um, you know, they're, um, the sw think of the switches on railroads. Um, <clears throat> that's their, that's their um, business. They're, Again, they're well positioned. Um, they're very positive. They don't have any of the concerns that you're talking about on the regulation side. I do ask those questions. Utilities are, you know, one a very small part of their business. So they're, but they're specialized enough to where, if you need a really good switch, you're going to go get these guys. Absolutely, and they're what they refer to as customized engineering. So they provide customized en engineering and. We are past. So for seven companies I met with yesterday and, and, and a lot that I've talked to over the last few weeks, we really are past the worst of the supply chain, the worst of the labor issues. Um, and the smart um, CEOs and the smart managers of the companies have figured out ways of retaining people, providing an environment um, that allows people to stay, that, that provides good incentives, um, and where the pricing issues aren't as... Uh, big as they were say over the last few years so we are coming out of this uh covid period if you will over the last few years where there was a lot of volatility well they gotta they gotta be backed up in their sales they they are there's uh, some of these companies have ba huge backlogs um but a lot of them have capacity to deal with it as well so you really have to look carefully at those companies that have the vision that are well positioned that have the capacity that know how to treat their people 
know how to hire people, know how to train people. And um, well, you, it, the companies that reach the, the size where they can train their own people, I think they they got the world the world by the by the behind. I think they're I think yes. they're they're just the right size. They're they're, they're enough to nimble enough to where they can do that. I mean, I, I talk all the time about my nephews in, in the metal service business, and they are just, they're not really sure. All of a sudden, a firm like you're talking about probably has to go places a machine breaks down. They'll go for a new part. They'll go for something. They have suppliers that keep themselves yes, running. absolutely. And uh, those guys that are in that supply business have noticed an, an uptick in, in sales over the last several years. But they have no way of knowing, Dan. I mean, you and I went there and helped them out. They have no way of knowing if this is a three-year phenomenon, a five-year phenomenon, or all of a sudden everything's back in China 10 years from now and we're out of business again. I mean, it's really hard to... to, to I, I have a feeling the more companies like you're talking about means a longer lifespan for the companies like I'm talking about because yep. it all kind of works together. I mean, unless you've, you've seen that, I mean, you have somebody always... I mean, Tootsie Roll has a huge plant in Ford City. Well, they're, they're dependent on three or four guys that if some machine breaks... A conveyor belt breaks something, they can get somebody to make a new one for them or fix the old one. I mean, they don't have all that equipment. They, there, there's an interdependency in, in the, this industrial area that if you've never seen it, you don't really realize how, you know, how dependent everybody is on everybody else. Yes. And, and you know, for a firm like you're talking about to do very well over the next 10 years, there's got to be five or six other firms around them that are helping them out. Yeah, and, and a lot of these firms are looking for that point in time, you know, for acquisition, you know, for some of the smaller firms. But talking about, say, China, for example, and, you know, I think that trend is over where there was, like, movement to outside of the U.S. for lower labor well, costs well, 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 and all that. Chrys- Chrysler threatened to move their pickup truck plant to Mexico last week. <laughs> well, in certain certain industries and, again, certain, certain companies – um, there has been a bigger push um, for a lot of these smaller companies that are well capitalized that I would kind of call the cream of the crop in their industries to expand their manufacturing facilities, to upgrade, to there is a big focus on automation, software, and trying to get you know higher productivity. There is a cost of transport. There's also what I refer to as a sovereign cost, which is not really, you know, it's there there are you know issues that go go on that could be issues so you know there could be problems for the company if they decide to source all their materials from overseas or to or to send them over there to be manufactured so what i have seen is just a change in sentiment about amongst the companies that i like better who are focused more here in the united states um and again you can do it with a smaller company if you are a larger company you have to have exposure overseas it's very difficult not to but with the smaller companies they're they're able to be more nimble they're able to, you know, if they're the leader in their particular market, they're able to, yeah, they'll have a couple of plants overseas. Several of them, I've noticed a European push, a less of an Asia push. Uh, several of them have some operations in Asia, but they're not necessarily expanding those operations at this point. So, Aren't you, aren't you always been surprised, Dan, a little off topic, but how, how, how efficient the transportation must be? Because I mean, even to put like a... Uh, Suppose you know if you put a Chevy pickup plant in Toronto, which I think there is one, or is GMC or somebody. I mean, you're not there when you say a plant; they're an assembler. Okay, right. it's not it's not like uh, the Pullman days when uh, in, in 1890, where you went down to the South Side and they had something like 57 buildings. You know, where they all the the stuff for the seats, they did the tanning, and they did the padding, they did the 
casting for the rails or the wheels. They, all the stuff was self-contained. But now that's not the way. Now, if you even if you put a real, if I were to, you know, go back to another life and, and get a, a you know a thing to do CTA cars, we're not we're not building the trucks. We're not building the air conditioners. We're, we're assembling. And so, but I, I always was stunned that the pickup truck in Toronto, say, the transmission and the motors made here, shipped up there, put in the thing, and then the truck gets shipped back. Still, it must be efficient enough to do that with all that stuff flying back and forth, and yet. Obviously, you know these guys are pretty smart. It must still. I'm, I'm just stunned at how efficient the transportation system evidently can be. It can be, but remember, I'm not uh, talking about China. I mean, yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, yeah, but not too long ago, yeah. right? I was going to say we had all the all the uh, the freighters off the coast of of Long Beach and, and L.A. that that couldn't get in. And I don't think of Toronto as being. I think of it almost being as, as an extension of True. the U.S. Yeah. So it's you know you don't have all those regulatory issues because of the way things are set up between the United States and Canada. I do want to mention one thing that was very impressive yesterday. The, the We're not kicking you out. You may have for no, a while. Yeah, yeah, I know. But, um, the economist, um, Cullum Clark, Cullum Clark uh, runs the Bush Institute in Dallas. So that's the President Bush Institute. He was uh, the Bush guest, one or two? Um, I guess it includes both. Okay. <laughs> well, the presidential libraries aren't the same place, are they? Yeah, they are. Okay, yeah. all right, okay. And uh, he uh, he did a fantastic job. And, and what I liked about his presentation is that he actually provided numbers and statistics to back what we've been observing. So earlier when um, Lou was talking about Russia and all that, um, he did a lot of the, you know, issue. He looked at a lot of issues dealing with population decline um, and the expectation that we're going to have population decline here in the U.S. going forward. So... You know, statistics looking at births versus deaths, immigration—all that was was added into this. So, but the net net is that we're going to see decline here. The most severe declines, which which I think most of us know already, have been in China and Japan. And China is not looking good. In How many sense, people do you think China bumped off the COVID? Oh, quite a few, but in terms of what they're currently, I mean, they have they have laws there to limit the amount of children they can have. So I think, I think it's down I, I think, to I about think, one think, per the, woman. I think, I think they got, they got rid of those. Well, not worried about it. I think because now you can have more. But yeah, but I think that the going forward, the expectation, at least from from the data he gathered, and it was, and it, to me, it was very logical, is that those countries will continue to their populations will continue to decline. Um, but the one that was the, that stood out the most, and I would have, uh, you know, I'd like to hear uh, Lou's view on this, was Russia, and just how, oh yeah, ext- how like very very low, um, only continuing to decline as time goes on, and and certainly if you're thinking forward in terms of, you know, who is coming next for like, you know, through the education system and all that, there's some pretty um, serious, there'd be some pretty serious concerns about looking at China as a powerhouse where population is declining so much. So much bigger issues over there than we say have here in the United States. One other statistic that I thought was really well, we got to dash off the break. You know, another place that we never talk about, because um, they just landed something on the southern part of the moon, the Indians, yes. people from India. Yes. Uh, I, there's just so happens where Audrey lives in Orland, uh, there's a India, uh, in community of people from India. I've... Uh, I never met nicer people in my life. They're all doctors or all something, yes, and, and, and the places are immaculate. The kids all do well in school. I yes. mean, it's 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 quite a group. Uh, SB Futures. I'm not 
I'm generalizing, but uh, SP futures up 19, Nasdaq futures up 140. We come back. Mr. Flanagan will join us with his, with his uh, take of the world, and we'll be right back. Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right now. Right here. Right now. 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 Right Two favorite places, Dan and Jan. Uh, Subway sandwich chain sells itself yeah. to Dunkin' owner. Not, yeah. the, not to Dunkin', but the owner, Rourke Capital. So that, yeah. That's weird. Uh, anyway, so Jan, next time you go into Subway, you're actually giving money to Dunkin' Donuts. Just saying. <laughs> SP Futures up 16 now, 16 and a half. As if here's up 133. We're still up pretty good here, but not as much as we were because the world was ablaze with uh, flying up yesterday with the Nvidia. Uh, Nvidia is still trading 503. It topped out of what? In 509 maybe. Yeah. Uh, so it's you know it's still over 500. Huge beat. Uh, they beat on revenue. Huge. I mean they uh, and uh, they, they predicted this quarter be 16 billion versus 12. I mean if that's true, that's incredible growth. I mean it's just incredible growth. Uh, over in Asia, we've got the uh, you know the stocks here are up as you can imagine. Nikkei up 276 point. Uh, it's almost 0.9 percent. Hang Seng. Up 2%, 366, but still 18,212. And I'm going to say, does that get them out of Dan, bear market territory? Dan, probably not. They're still, they're still got a crummy crummy year over there. Uh, Shanghai, virtually unchanged, uh, up point, three points. Over in Europe, uh, we did have rallies. Now, not so much. DAX down 13.1%, uh, FTSE up 13.2%, CAC around unchanged. So we did have a nice big rally over there, and now it's petered out. A uh, ten-year up three basis points, 4.23. The bond unchanged, 2.52. Japan down two basis points, 0.65. Uh, we've got oil. 
down five, up five cents, but still 78.94, kind of well under 80. Uh, Brent up 12 cents, 83.33. Natural gas down four cents, 245. Where natural gas, Dan, like get like 285 or something, then it came right back down again. Yep. Uh, our Bob up a penny, 278. We've got gold, which was bullish yesterday, not so much today, down 540, 19.42. Silver down 18 cents, 24.21. It was under 23. I'm going to say last week, Dan, so it's a pretty big rally in big silver. Big rally yesterday in silver, yep. yes. Uh, copper down two cents, three seventy-eight. We've got uh, Bitcoin uh, down two thirty-nine, twenty-six thousand three seventy-four. Coming back a little bit from the the big drubbing it took last week, but still nowhere near to thirty thousand it was. U.S. dollar, which has been kind of all over the block the last couple of days, is is up today uh, with the the euro down to one hundred eighty-two. It's the lowest we've seen it in a little while, and the British pound at one twenty-six five. So. The dollar being stronger here is one of the reasons I think why gold is down a little bit. Uh, Andrew, what do you got for us, traffic, weather, sports? All right, it is 737 here in Chicago on August 24th. Starting off with some sports, and we got some wins. The Cubs won against the Tigers, 6-4, and the White Sox won against the Mariners, 5-4. Here in Chicago, weather is currently at 82 degrees. We have mostly sunny skies at the moment. And we're going to have a high of 99 today, and it's going to hit around 5 p.m. And that is, uh, we are in, a, in, a, in an excessive heat warning right now, so things are going to be pretty warm today. That lasts till about 8 o'clock. Uh, and over in Phoenix, they're at 86 degrees right now. They have partly cloudy skies. Uh, and they're going to have a high of 104 today, and that's going to hit around 6 p.m. Uh, they also have an air quality alert due to high air pollution. Uh, but finally, for Chicago traffic, uh, looks like yeah, we got a couple red dots around. The Are you recommended here. that we hold our breath? Uh, if you're in Phoenix, then yes. All right. If you're in Chicago, then uh, bring an umbrella for the sun. Okay. Uh, finally, though, for Chicago traffic, uh, if you're coming on the inbound Kennedy, there are always the delays all the way from Austin Avenue to about downtown. Uh, same thing on the inbound uh, Eisenhower as well. It's pretty heavy from about First Avenue to downtown. Um, looks like on the major expressways, the only accident to report is the same as our first hour. This is on the Stevenson. On the, uh, it looks like right next to the exit ramp to northbound Harlem, uh, that exit ramp is closed on both sides to northbound, uh, and it's right nearby is an accident uh, between I-55 and 47th Street. Uh, some heavy delays over there. So that's all I got. So do we have Mr. Flanagan? Good morning, Tom, Don, Dan, too, and Andrew. So, Jan, uh, I'm going to accuse you, uh, 1947, of the Flanagan family and all your neighbors getting out there and burning leaves when you weren't supposed to, causing the global warming in August. Yeah. Well, I like to think I was just a spectator in those, those times, Tom, and I certainly spectated at enough bonfires, autumn leaves. I don't remember actually being allowed to start one. My, my parents were not, you know, encouraging that behavior, but everybody in the neighborhood would gather at the, the biggest bonfire and, you know, get a huge kick out of it, so... Yeah, I was there. I hate to admit it. Yeah, we, I remember uh, I used to, uh, there, there was a, a dude over in Beverly talk about kind of a different world than now. This guy was, uh, he had an ad in the, in the South Town for somebody to help him with his yard. And I think I was, I might have been 14. The guy was a uh, World War One vet, although he was an immigrant from Austria. So they wouldn't let him go to Europe, for, I don't know why, because they thought he might like, jump to the other side, which he sure as hell wasn't going to do. He was a machine gun instructor, and he ended up fighting in the war against Pancho Villa down in the Texas border. Oh. I mean, uh, interesting, interesting dude, but uh, we would, God, he had enough of a trees there, we had a thing lined up for the double lot, and, and we burned the stuff, and the whole neighborhood smelled. I mean, everybody did that, John, remember? 
Little, yeah. they know, little they know, they were creating the global warming we're talking about now. Remember the great John McCutcheon cartoon and the the, the Chicago Tribune that they would run sun, on a Sunday every year in the fall, Indian summer, or Indian summer. Yeah. You know, you can't imagine getting away with that today, but how the smoke from all the burning leaves actually created this vision. It was a two-frame color cartoon, beautiful cartoon. And this guy is telling this young kid about who used to live in this land. And all of a sudden, in the smoke, you see all of the Native Americans that used to act <laughs> Of course, it was t totally charming, and everybody looked forward to the Sunday in September, October, where the Tribune would run it. And now the Tribune, I'm sure, wouldn't admit to ever knowing who John McCutcheon was. No, no. Well, Dan, in, in this area of Beverly, where John lived and where I ended up living, but the, before there was Dutch Elm disease, every house had a couple of elm trees in front of it. It's a really nice neighborhood. And so you had, but they grew over the street, so you actually drove down a canopy on every street. Nice. And, yeah, nice. and all of a sudden, so you, can, you can't even imagine the amount of leaves people burned yeah. every fall. And, and then all of a sudden, uh, actually I had a house at, uh, down on uh, Hopkins Place. We had so many trees that we didn't even attempt to burn them. But the Forest Reserve was across the street, so we just got like a huge tarp them on, put them on the plastic tarp and just pulled the tarp across the street and dumped them in the forest preserves. And you know what? Come spring, they were gone. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm trying to accuse John of who caused the global warming in 1947, John? Yeah? Oh, probably our great great grandparents who were doing what they had to do to keep warm in 1830. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, so, hey, uh, what did you make of uh, debate last night? What did you make of what Lou was talking about in Russia? He says he thinks the guy's dead or he's got a deal where he's somewhere else. Uh, never come back, or uh, we, we have the market. We got Nvidia driving the market, even though now it's in danger of going under 500 here. I don't think that's a big deal. It's still huge up there. Uh, well, a, a, I didn't watch the debate. I just, you know, sort of caught up with the, the recap today, this morning, uh, with with you know Prigozhin. I think at, at the time he was you know exiled to Belarus or whatever. I thought this is not going to be the end of the story. He is going to be marked for assassination. Or you know, liquidation somewhere, sometime soon probably. But this was a way of, of getting rid of the embarrassment, you know, at the moment and kicking the can down the road somewhat. But I, I have to say, you know, I'm not particularly surprised by how this has played out. So, hang on just a second. Yeah. So we, we had a Putin mumble the other day, Dan, that uh, he uh, uh, needs to stop the war that the West started. So, <laughs> but I mean. Uh, I, I just hope that if, if yeah. there's willing to negotiate on that side that the Ukrainian guys do it and just get it over with before it blows up even more than it has. But I don't know if that's going to happen. Agree. Totally agree. Um, what, where do you – headwinds on the market. Uh, uh, Kenny Polcari yesterday was talking about there's going to have to be – well, classical theory would say there's going to have to be somewhat of a repricing here. Not that these companies aren't good companies, not that they're not growing – but this idea that there's so much times revenue. I mean, in Walmart's, I'm not. This is not revenue. Walmart's 25 PE, yeah. which is, <clears throat> which if if you find a company, it's 25 PE and they're growing like a small company, can grow or a medium-sized company. I don't have a problem with 25 PE, but I'm curious as to how hell exactly Walmart doubles unless we just pour more money into the system and they double by raising prices. I mean. How can they double? They double. They there is another firm left in the world. Right. Aren't they bigger than the, than the next four combined or something? Home Depot and uh, Target and everybody else. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I, I thought it was interesting yesterday that um, Terry Savage, you know, the popular financial advisor, but um, usually she's been a cheerleader for stocks no matter what the, the climate seems to be. But yesterday she was you know, telling people, you know, go for T-bills. And I thought that was that represented a kind of sea change for her, at least. You know, I don't follow her that closely, but I, that, I don't remember ever hearing her push that before. And it made me think that maybe she has gotten down off of her, you know, rostrum here and is singing another tune from what she usually does. And I don't know what she sees or, or worries about, but I thought it was instructive that this this is something new for me. Yeah, John, and, <clears throat> that has been <clears throat> that has been my viewpoint, our viewpoint. I mean, partly coming from the fixed income side, but being able to get five and a half percent on a six month T bill, and then also knowing at some point that as the yield curve starts to steepen, there's gonna we're go, we are gonna see um, bonds doing better. So year to date, bonds are down six percent. If you look at the at the U.S. Um, aggregate, just because rates have gone higher in, in ten years, so you have to look at the risk return. And I do I would say that I do agree with her. We have been selling slowly into the rally, but we have been keeping a certain allocation to smaller cap um, names still because liquidity has come back that's something that had been missing from the market and recently is it's come back so i do think there's opportunity and there's a lot of cash out there still but we are also coming into you know it's late august we're coming into september and october there is headwinds coming up if we see another rate increase um there's other there's more headwinds coming up with with um affordability issues that are that are only getting bigger and and so there, there are definitely some concerns, but I do, I would say I have to mimic her views, views there. What's a- yeah, I would, I, I, I do too. I, I, I think it also, you know, signifies that there's some kind of, you know, uncertainty or worry about, you know, other trends, and those are, of course represent safer, more dependable um, products that you can rely on. So there's, there's, you know. I've, but I've never, I don't recall ever her, hearing her say something other than anybody who stuck with the market, you know, over you know, X number of years, never regretted it and always made money. And she was always reassuring people not to pull money out, um, especially when it, it looked like the market was about to tank. Uh, that's when her message became the most, you know, kind of strident. So I thought it was it was interesting yesterday that she's kind of gotten off of that. I wonder if she's she's now seen something. Yeah, I think her- part of it also is just that, and I and we've seen because of the credit side. Because I look at things from the credit point of view, and um, there has been credit tightening. There is certainly, you know, we're looking at the the Nvidia that's that's a blowout today. But we're also you have to look at at you know banks, regional banks, um, any any business that's impacted by higher rates. There is going to be, you know, there are already segments of our population that are hurting just, you know, on a, on a certain level, being able to, the affordability issue and all that. Um, I think we're going to get out of it fine, but I agree with her that this is a time for rotation into some fixed income, especially where you can get, you can sit on five and a half um, or six percent, basically risk free. So we've started a new business where we're actually managing 401k money. And these are going to be much younger people. Um, and the interesting thing is, looking at the allocations that they have, where they're 95 to 100 percent in aggressive stocks, we've we've cut back some of that. We've actually diversified and moved them more into some of the areas of the bond market that I think have more potential going forward. 
And being a bond manager for 40 years now, I would say that the opportunities in fixed income are much better than they have been. So we went through this long period of time where the bond market just didn't do a whole lot. It, I mean, rates came down, so we were seeing positive returns each year, but we were seeing them at very low absolute levels. So when you're talking 2% going down to one and a half, yeah, it's a big gain, but now we're talking five and a half, six percent. Um, there's more opportunity. Then what uh, in in Jen? I mean, I don't. I think anybody. I mean, who knows? I mean, I, you never exactly think you're right all the time, but I surely don't. But it definitely is a tale of two and three worlds right now. When Kenny and I were talking about it yesterday or Tuesday, when do those worlds intersect? I mean, we have a huge sections of the population. Kevin was talking about it yesterday that the uh, the reason why your foot lockers and those places and Dick's Sporting Goods, if all of a sudden, you know, the utility rate goes up, the $100 that you don't have anymore or 50 bucks, might be the nice pair of shoes at Nike or Dick's you got to do something. That he thinks that these are like the first waves of people cutting back on their marginal spending. I mean, I, I, mean, there's, I don't think anybody, I mean, no matter who you are, I mean, Nikki Haley was talking about it last night, she said a little bit about, I mean, I'm not like I'm endorsing her or anything, but I'm not really, but the, you know, there's people now that are never going to afford a car. I mean, you know that, Dan. I mean, you're, you're doing well, and you go out there and look at the price and say, well, what am I doing here? <laughs> I mean, it's nuts. I mean, I'm looking for a pickup truck. Two years old, they want sixty-five grand. I mean, really? Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I, we, we've had this massive tone change. I don't know how much more you can get out of it. I, I see everything. I mean, Audrey and I go out to dinner and I, I, every week, and I, and I say, oh, these, this place, is, there's nobody here. Oh, yeah, well, kid, you know, kids are going back to school. That's true. She's absolutely right about that. You know, it's party time. It's, it's, it's it, you know, everybody, everybody I know as a kid in, graduate, in college drove them last weekend or the weekend before. I think it's worse than that. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I can't put a number on it, but I'm seeing the shrinkage. And people tell me, people who, like, work in the building and stuff, they always come by and talk because I always cook breakfast for everybody. Uh, you know, how, the, how they, they cut back on this and, and how the one guy's kid goes to a charter school and he's got to, you know, he got to wear nice pants and a suit coat every day. And he, they went out and bought him, you know, nothing fits from last year. And he, how much it cost him just to get the kid in the school door. I mean, it, it's, he says it's like 20% iron last year. It's, I mean, this, these numbers, you, you can't just, I, mean, I know you can ignore people forever. We did during the 20s. You know, where 75% of the country was either in recession or depression, right. and all of a sudden one day they match up. And yet, like Kenny said, it's Tuesday. It was, I, I don't understand how come the, the revaluation hasn't happened yet with the interest rates you're talking about, Dan. I mean, how can, how can Walmart be worth more now than it was when interest rates were 1.5%? Because there's so much money in the system still. Yeah. I mean, well, and, that's why. And, yeah. and actually, Kenny and I had dinner last, last week. I was in Palm really? Beach. Really? Yeah, and we caught up, and our, and our, you know, with our, we're both Italian, and so as as our voices got a little louder, we were noticing that other people were hearing the, oh, God. hearing the conversation. <laughs> but, but we are very much aligned in our views on on um, you know both the markets and and the, and the drivers of the markets, and ask a lot of the same questions. And it's always great talking to him because because he came from the pure sell side, and I came from the pure buy side. So we both understand flows flows of funds. But when it comes to the economy, I think we. We're really right on target. We're asking a lot of these questions, and it is a really good question to see why these multiples are so high on, say, discount retailers. 
And the thing that I like, I like to go a step further in the way I look at it, and I don't know if John, if, if you agree with me on this, but there's, there's a um, point where, and, and Tom, you're talking about going to restaurants and I've done the same thing and observed the same thing where prices just seem too high. And at some point you're really willing to pay that. But doesn't that create opportunity at some point for somebody to step in and start a business that's gonna provide better customer service at lower prices? I, uh... and, and, and that's what I hope is the great American dream that we have had as people in the baby boomer generation that we still believe in that that there can there will be a substitution right in economics you substitute goods or services and suddenly you're buying you know maybe you, you want to i don't know that they're high enough dan for somebody to be able to build a whole building next to it and take advantage of it but there's some online uh, there's a group is it tiva there's a there's another uh, uh a discounted Amazon.com that I've heard people talk I'm about. I'm not talking about. I thought you were talking about restaurants. I mean, I, well, it could be yeah. it could be a restaurant or it could be it could be like a food service that's provided. I mean, I just for example, I stopped on my way back from the from the conference to the hotel I was staying at and grabbed a few things at at um, Trader Joe's, <clears throat> and it was much cheaper than the night before when we ate. You know, we ate out at and you know, looking at $15 a drink, you know, for a drink and all that. And you can get, you know, a bottle of vodka for eight bucks at, at yeah. Trader Joe's. So, so I think it's called substitution. Like people will end up and people will benefit because people still need to eat. So it may be that they're ordering, you know, um, through, through Amazon or, or through one of the food chains that, that brings food at a cheaper price or more people are, you know, being creative. But yes, there are places opening um, in certain locations uh, restaurants um, that are able to do. Uh, the question is, how long will they last? I mean, restaurants always open. Yeah, it's they're trendy. You're right, and it's it's there's come and go. But I mean, you're looking at Subway, right? But I mean, if, um, if you're going to try and have the glass of wine eight and a half bucks instead of ten, you're not going to spend fifteen million dollars on a place and have to pay that lease. I, I guess you know. I guess again, substitution doesn't necessarily mean that a new store has to, a new restaurant has right. to open up across the street. Uh, I live in a golf course community. We have a um, tiki bar, uh, five bucks for a cocktail, four bucks for a drink. And yes, some of it is subsidized by us, but then, you know, do you, do you decide to go to the new restaurant that's open down the street that's charging well, double? Well, you and I, I don't, know, I don't know if you know, but you and I have a client uh, together that just uh, has a bunch of accounts. I don't know if you were managing any part of this one, but he has a medical practice. Yes. And they just, some guy just bought the building and said, oh, by the way, you're your rent is up four times. So the guy said, the hell with that, and he's moving and buying his other place and had to liquidate some, some stock. Well, I mean, that, that's happening. I mean, if, you, and if you're a... I mean, it, it is th- happening, yeah. I mean, it's happening. These, these prices are still... I mean, you're, you're right. At the, at the end of the day, um, you know, your, your pork chops are 25 bucks when the pork is trading for 179 a pound. Somebody will find a way to come down with that. But it also is... If your fanny's in the seat, they need 50 bucks out of you to pay the lease. It doesn't matter whether you get a burger or a salad or whatever you get, right? So, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of different economic things in play here, right? But one of the- I agree, Dan, that, yeah. you know, there's, there's substitutions that will, you know, encourage people to, you know, take the plunge, go out for entertainment, you know, whatever, spend money and feel like they're getting a better bang for their buck. I, I think what I notice happening, and I'd like both of your thoughts on this, but 
um, people have reclassified or are trying to reclassify what they consider luxury items. And, you know, that's a term that, you know, yes. I think connotes to most people that these are inconsequential, unimportant things that you don't really need, but that you like spending money on because they give you a thrill or whatever else. And people, I think, have decided that luxury items may now include an automobile, yes. where it used to be a second or a third car to add to your fleet might have been considered a luxury item. Or going out to dinner, or going out to the theater, or going out to a movie um, is is a luxury those item. Are exactly, John. And those, and even when we were younger, remember even taking a plane flight, right? For for for, I mean, at least you know I came from a family that didn't have a lot of money, so you know, right. Being able Making to take a long distance phone call was a, a luxury a long item. Exactly, exactly. So so technology now. Yeah. Technology and productivity have helped, you know, there's certainly been a lot, you know, that's really helped in a lot of ways, but there's still, um, you know, the shift that had gone from what you're, what you're referring to, and I totally agree, that were considered luxury items back then, and now they became mainstream, everyone can afford an, uh, an air, airplane flight, um, and now there's a shift back towards who wants to pay $400 one way for a Southwest uh, flight from you know, Fort Myers to, to Chicago. It's, it's so there, it's not going to be your, it's going to shift the, you know, there has to be a substitution, right? There'll be somebody else yeah. that'll come in. There'll be another way people will drive. People are still have, still have capital, but there's a certain point where that changes. One thing that I found interesting, I don't know if, if chief, if you noticed this on the, on watching the uh, debates is that there were quite a few, um, uh, advertisements, commercials from, um, the South, uh, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, and I really liked the commercial that that you know the way she was, you know, promoting her state and, you know, people can move. I guess is the other thing. And although with higher rates, everybody can't afford to move. But you, you, she's talking about a state that you know her state that has you know lower cost of living, no state income tax, lots of jobs small towns, low crime, you know, and I actually thought about it. This is, you know, what a great concept for a governor to be like talking about all these economic benefits that really are, you know, go across all political parties that really are just, you know, commonsensical. So for those people, maybe in other parts of the Midwest, maybe in the Twin Cities or whatever that are, that are, you know, wanting to either start families or move to a quieter place, you know there are opportunities right there are other places to go that are more affordable um and i think that you know that dynamic has been happening for many years but you know it's continuing to happen you sort of i mean i once in a while god and I, I lost this somewhere buried uh i lose everything over time but the we had to do with which state was the best to retire in right and now they just had another one that came out you got to be careful on that because some of the some states they don't have any income tax there so that that part's good but it seems like they, they get you somewhere. <laughs> Property taxes or... Yeah, but or I would have guessed, I would have guessed like Wyoming, uh, this is a few years ago, you may want to retire there, but you don't want to croak there. They got the highest estate tax. Oh, okay, right. So, right. I mean, some, somewhere, someplace, they get you because they, they end up with somewhat the same amount of dough. I'm not saying they like in Chicago... They have to pay for the same kind of stuff every other state does. Well, but I mean, Chicago is, is different because we're, we're degrading, we're losing population. So, you know... We do stupid stuff like you know sales tax for for uh, Sox Park and something like that, or the Bears Stadium. We we have crazy stuff going on here. So Illinois is higher, but it's not just what you would expect. You know there were you know all these Western states or New Mexico. I mean some of them 
also some of them get a prodigious amount of, of federal money and which is, doesn't make things fair either I mean it's nice for I think New Mexico is uh, I, I'm doing this from memory but I, I read this article where they, they talked about who get the federal largesse and it was really multi multi faceted where how many people in the state work for the federal government how many people then have retired there and get New Mexico it's like eight or nine percent of the state works for the federal government it's some incredible number you know and and, you know and obviously they go to bars and restaurants and buy cars and it has to do with the direct investment you know in the in the uh, uh, the bases and so forth and then all kinds of other stuff those people then retire there I mean once we're this whole list in some of these states where they they claim that they're they're doing so much better than the quote blue states well, yeah, <laughs> you're getting a check every month. I mean, <laughs> duh. I mean, it, and, and California, by the way, used to be like that when they had all those bases and stuff, and they all got closed. Years ago, yeah. Illinois, yeah. Illinois, we got like one base left, John. We used to have, what, six? Yeah, or New Mexico still has a strong one. They have yeah. quite a few, right? But, I mean, it's not as obvious as, shall we say, the people from the right have you believe that you, as long as you live in a, in a, in a red state, it's cheap. It, you, can't, you no. can't just go by that. Yeah, uh, I'm saying I, I don't even think it has to go there. I just have, you know, I think it depends on on um, a lot of different factors, and quality of life is one of those factors, and the fact that a lot of people can work remotely. Uh, at least two of the companies that I met with yesterday are remote first, um, and it may not be what I think is the best for for um, for all businesses, but for some businesses, they're able to do it that way allowing more opportunity for people to go outside of where they are not just afford i mean affordability probably being one of the top things when it comes to housing um but you're right in certain states new hampshire having grown up right near new hampshire it was always a place to go for no sales tax no state state income but property tax you get killed on so uh, you can go across the border to maine and you don't have as much you know somebody did an analysis to show that maine actually is cheaper even though they do have an income tax who wants to live in maine uh, who wants to live in maine up, up on the up on the top part where you got private roads. If you got on the other guy's road, and shoot you. <laughs> well, the southern coast is pretty popular. Yeah, and I there agree are mountains with you. there, and and uh, I know the city of Portland, for example, is just on fire right now as a a destination spot. And you know, we're talking property values that are getting close to Boston. Um, you know, it's for me, it's a short a short summer, um, but it's a uh, yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful coast and. Um, well, Audrey and one of her pals just took a, tri- a trip up to Wisconsin, and they went to Manitowoc and Two Rivers, and they're like, "God, what a beautiful place to live!" <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. oh, it's a beautiful place. Yeah, it's a. Uh, Jan, are we going to see you tonight? I think I'm in for the night, Tom. I'm, I don't do well in this weather outdoors. Oh yeah. God, the uh, the uh, well, think about it because we'd love to see you, uh, Dan. Thank Stay you for here. being in yeah, here. It's terrific. SB Futures up nineteen. We're down a little bit from the highs. We're still up pretty good. NASDAQ up 145. We've got NVIDIA still hanging over 500 at 503. Not as high as the... Where, did it make it to 511 then or 510? Somewhere in there. But, uh, we'll be back tomorrow with Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708 349 3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain?
schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.